Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, former NFL scout and currently at Sports Info Solutions, joined by Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. Aaron, how was your vacation? It was wonderful. It was sunny. It was warm. It was relaxing. And I came back to 100 million different things. But at least I know I picked the uh, right time to go on vacation NFL-wise because there hasn't been much uh, going on over the last week except you know, for Rob Gronkowski retiring in the middle of my vacation. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Just uh, for me, uh, it's just Gronk's one of the great tight ends of all time. It gets lost in kind of all the charades about him, but he's really the great tight end of all time probably. And just when you talk about a wide tight end, an inline tight end, he's he's what I think of as the prototype. I think it gets to the, uh, the Bill James historical baseball abstract. If people remember that book, in the, uh, I think he did this in both the original one and the second edition. He ranked the players at each position on two lists. One was the best peak players, mm-hmm. and one was the best career players. And I think that that's a really important distinction when you ask who's the best tight end of all time, because career-wise, it's Tony Gonzalez, and I think peak-wise, it's Gronk. I think that's a, I think that's fair. Definitely in terms of what they produced as receivers, I definitely agree with that. What Gronk did as a blocker, though, for me, it separates him from Tony Gonzalez. Maybe even if we think, you know, that's like Jim Brown. Jim Brown, obviously, really great peak, not as much career value as, say, Emmitt Smith. Um, Bill James actually still, through through Sports Info Solutions, is putting out updated lists of all of those kind of things every year. It's, uh, I did not know that, and that is good to know because those lists were a really fun part of those books. I don't think you can really match Gonzalez. The longevity of Tony Gonzalez at the position compared to other players at the position, though, is just remarkable. Yeah, I, un- unbelievable. I mean, and Antonio Gates is going to be right up there in that conversation as well. Um, but yeah, Rob Gronkowski, I think on, a, on just a different level as a blocker and what he did this year coming down the stretch, really being relegated to just as being a blocker on the team most of the time, except for a few huge plays when they really needed him in the playoffs. Um, as you know me, I'm a, I'm a full fledged, uh, Patriot hater from my childhood, but I've got to, I've got to show respect. Everything except for his goal line defense, um, has been up to snuff. It's a big loss for them. At the same time, they won a Super Bowl without him three years ago. So it's not something that they can't overcome. Yeah. No worries about the Patriots falling apart. I don't think anybody's got any concerns as, as far as that stuff goes. Anyway, as you mentioned, you are back from vacation. You are returning to our lovely producer, Justin Stein, who's always here to take care of us. And what we had cooked up for today was based on Justin's idea, talking about some of the off-season signings that might have flown under the radar, things that we like, things that are maybe just interesting for whatever reason that we wanted to talk through some of these deals before we start looking ahead in full, full-fledged draft mode. So, Let's kick it off. And Aaron, what, what is your first interesting offseason signing that you wanted to talk about? The one that I sort of really got my eye was Steven Nelson to Pittsburgh. A cornerback used to be with Kansas City. Nelson really had his best year by far last season. And I don't think people realize quite how good he was for Kansas City because their whole defense, their defense as a whole had so many problems. But he was 12th in success rate and 28th in yards per pass among qualifying cornerbacks. And it's not because he was some kind of nickel corner. His average depth of target was over 14 yards, which was a top 10 in the league. So he had a pretty darn good season, and he's going into his prime years. 
And it was a pretty good pickup for Pittsburgh, especially because, uh, so SportRack, which is a site that does a lot of cap work, they made predictions about salaries for free agents, and they predicted that he would get something like $48 million over five years. And instead, uh, Pittsburgh got him for $25.5 million over three years. You know, obviously a couple of years at the end of that 48 over five years was probably nonsense years. But still, that probably means a lower guarantee than was originally predicted for the players. So they, they, they got him at a good price. Yeah, interesting signing there. Um, definitely um, think of Kansas City and you think of definitely more of the man scheme type stuff. Um, somebody with a ton of targets. I mean, 112 targets last season. That's, that's on, on 679 coverage snaps. That's a, that's a pretty good chunk right there. But like you mentioned, I mean, I, I don't know anybody. He's, he's up there in the past defense and leaderboards throughout the year. So definitely an interesting guy to bring in there and fit into those with those other corners that they have in Pittsburgh now. Kind of a different looking defense than I think we've seen in years past. So I'm with you. Very interesting there. One of my first ones that I wanted to throw out there as a, as a, a top value signing, um, also kind of off the radar, Carolina Panthers signing Matt Paradise at center. Uh, three-year, $27 million deal. Now, not necessarily that that um, that's not a lot of money to pay a center. That's, that's certainly a reasonable contract. But I think signing a guy to that deal, you're getting a top 10 pass-blocking center in terms of total points two of the last three years. He's the seventh-ranked center in adjusted blown block rate on passing plays in 2018. So I think what you, what you see here is somebody who really excels as a pass protector, kind of sufficient in the run game. And I think fitting that in there for, for a, a healthy contract but something that certainly doesn't break the bank, um, I look at that, you know, and then looking at who the, the Broncos brought in on the offensive line to tackle, but Jawan James, he's coming in on a four-year deal for $51 million, whereas Paradise is just signing a three-year $27 million deal. His total value is less than Jawan James' guaranteed value. So, you know, in terms of, in terms of what I think is more the more efficient play there, I really like that Matt Paradise signing and how he could fit in. Yeah, that's a good one. And I mean, they, they had to replace, well, I was going to say replace Khalil, but I believe Khalil missed most of the year, right? Right. He was injured most of the year before he retired. So they're not really replacing him. They're replacing whoever already had replaced him. Yeah, that's a good signing. I agree with that one. My next one to mention is another one where I think the economic efficiency numbers are interesting. And that's Mike Pennell, who's a defensive tackle, going to the Patriots. And the reason why I think this one is interesting is because of what they paid for Mike Pennell compared to what the Saints paid for Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown used to be with the Patriots. Now, look, obviously Malcolm Brown has more potential. He's a former first-round pick. But after four years, there's not a lot of potential left there. After four years, I think you pretty much are what you've shown. Yeah, you are what you are. And Pennell had five and a half hurries compared to four and a half for Malcolm Brown. So that's, you know, pretty much equivalent. And run against the run, his average tackle was one yard closer to the line of scrimmage than Malcolm Brown's average tackle. But he cost much less. He came for two years, five million, whereas Brown was three years, 15 million. The bonus that the New Orleans Saints gave to Brown, four and a half million in signing bonus, was almost equal to the total value of Pennell's contract. Yeah, so we have uh, 23 of, of Mike Pennell's 25 tackles throughout the year coming short of the first town. He only had two broken tackles throughout the year last year. So a nice strong numbers there kind of as in backup duty for the Jets. 
Um, I don't think either of these guys are players that that should be. This is kind of when you spend when you spend that kind of money on this mid tier, you know, kind of backup level defensive tackle type player, somebody who's not going to change your pass rush um, and really change your defense in any big way. It just seems like a reach to go three years, fifteen million there when you can probably get that kind of that kind of talent level in the draft and for a lot cheaper or with a Mike Pennell for a lot cheaper. You know, I understand spending on the high range guys. I think that you want to do all the cost controlled stuff, but when you bring in these kind of second contract guys and third contract guys that have been on other teams and they're not part of guys from your own system, I think, you know, being careful about, you want to really have a special talent if you're going to spend that money there. I mean, one of the things that we've sort of shown and that sort of works into the offensive and defensive projection systems for football outsiders is the idea that adding talent in free agency helps you less than losing talent hurts you, right? So Which makes on, sense because it's football, not baseball, right. right? So, you know, this is a place where the Patriots, they're going to have to teach a new guy their system, whereas Brown knew the system already. But that just also makes the three years, 15 million for New Orleans just seem a little weird. Yeah, it seems weird. They think they're bringing in somebody that I guess is going to is, you know, that wasn't even a problem really for New Orleans last year. Um, so a, a depth play, a depth player, you think up there for them, uh, they're certainly making their run though. Interesting juxtaposition of those two moves for sure by you. Yeah, they're um, loading up. They're loading up a ton of salary with the idea that oh my god, their cap is going to crash and burn when Drew Brees finally retires. Yeah, it's just it feels like it's been that load up for ten years, but the cap is rising at a fast enough rate that every year it seems to. You know, their, their debts are forgiven. Okay, moving forward, the Green Bay Packers. John Shirley, our researcher, wrote an excellent article today, and he highlighted some stats on Adrian Amos. I knew Adrian Amos had a really good season for Chicago last year. I didn't realize just how good it was. And they, they signed him to a four-year contract for $37 million. So $21 million in the first two years. That's the guaranteed portion. So we're talking about $10 million per year for Adrian Amos here. He was second in coverage total points saved among safeties in 2018. Third in coverage success rate. 67% on targets from the safety position. That's 33% from the offensive perspective, of course. First in man coverage success rate on targets among safeties. Uh, when targeted, so I, uh, really strong coverage numbers from Adrian Amos playing with the with Chicago last year. I think uh, you know his teammate in the backfield there got a lot of publicity. Eddie Jackson scoring some touchdowns last year, but Adrian Amos throughout the year really did a lot of things that showed up in Sports Info Solutions tracking. So love that value there. Great great point by John Shirley to go along with the pass rushers Preston and Zadarius Smith, who they also brought in. Yeah, a lot of defensive changes and improvements for Green Bay this offseason. Absolutely. Trying to get back over the, you know, we all expected such big things from them last year. With Rodgers back healthy, and the team just fell on its face. They're hoping that coaching improves things on one side of the ball and free agents improve things on the other side of the ball. Yes, for sure. It'll be really interesting to see them develop. I'm uh, putting my money on AA, Ron, to figure it out. Youth development, I'll also point out, by the way, which is that they have a lot of young cornerbacks, and you can't expect young cornerbacks to excel necessarily in their first year or two. It often takes them two, three, four years to develop. And so I think that's another positive mark for Green Bay is the idea that their young cornerbacks can still be developing. Yep, if they can grow in that system, that could be, that could be something. They, we saw them invest a lot in the corner position an offseason ago. All right, what's next on your list, Aaron? 
this is an interesting signing, and I think it's not necessarily good from a financial perspective, but it's good from the perspective of what this team needs. I think he's going to stand out this year. Is Alex Okafor going to Kansas City mm-hmm. from New Orleans? So it's a little bit of a weird thing because Okafor had 24 and a half pressures last year. That's a pretty darn good number to go with four sacks. But he's something that I don't normally advise teams to do, which is he's kind of a middle ground player, mm-hmm. right? Analytics tend to tend to point to the idea that you should spend heavily on the best players and then go cheap everywhere else. And Okafor, as as Bill Barnwell pointed out when he was grading uh, draft moves for ESPN, Okafor represents sort of a weird, weird middle ground. Three years, twenty four million. It's not Kansas City going super cheap at the position with free agents. It's not them paying through the nose for a top pass rusher because they could have done that just by keeping D Ford on the franchise tag. It's not them dedicating the draft to the position, although they could still do that. But they need pass rushers. And now, you know, I'm guessing they're going to start Okafor and Emmanuel Ogba now that they traded for Emmanuel Ogba from Cleveland. Yeah, I I think that what they're doing here is pretty clear to me. So they brought in Steve Spurrier to run the uh, – Steve Spagnuolo, excuse me, not Spurrier. I'm thinking a little Amer- uh, Alliance of American football right there. But Pour one Steve, out. Pour one out, yeah. Um, Steve Spagnuolo came in there, and I was in New Orleans when we brought Steve Spagnuolo in to run our defense, and he changed us from a Greg Williams, very man-based, a lot of blitzing scheme, into a very – cerebral combination coverage zone based scheme where you have to have defensive linemen that can potentially zone blitz and drop into coverage you know he learned from Jim Johnson and what we did in New Orleans that was our mistake was we didn't try to hustle out everybody in our system and bring in all new people for Steve Spagnolo and as a result we had horrible personnel to fit what he was doing now fast forward to Kansas City you saw them get rid of two very good pass rushers with D Ford and Justin Houston this offseason. And the reason is they don't fit into what Spagnola wants to do. They don't fit into that 4-3 with real true defensive ends that are that are actually playing down all the time in a three-point stance and also have that ability to drop back. With with Agba, um, with Okafor, you see guys that have more of a well-rounded skill set, but also I think you see two players that have more limitations in terms of their upside. So I, I didn't really – I don't love the Okafor signing for that at that price point. I thought the Agba trade was good. I thought they got good value there in terms of what they got from the Browns for what they gave up. Um, the player that I love that they brought in, though, is Tyron Matthew. Um, they didn't that, – that, not an under-the-radar deal. Three years, $42 million. So, you know, they, they paid the guy back there. But Tyron Matthew is a guy that I think – um, I get excited about the Swiss Army knife that he can be for them, kind of using using him in all sorts of different ways. If he can fit into that Spagnola system, I'm, I'm curious to see. We've seen trying to fit in the wrong pieces into Spag system, how that doesn't work. Now we'll see if changing the changing the pieces on the fly and getting them to fit in quickly to go with an offense that's ready to compete now, we'll see how effective that is. I think the thing about Okafor is they had to do something because I think the players that are behind Ogba and Okafor fit in even less to that Spagnuolo defense. They've got Breland Speaks, who's a former college defensive tackle, and they've got Tapo Capasignon, who was basically a 5-tech, 3-4 defensive end. Those guys are absolutely not your Justin Tuck type, you know, defensive end, classic Steve Spagnuolo defensive ends. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I'm, I'm more curious about that defense than them and the Packers and seeing how the Packers defense is going to move forward. I'm really curious about those teams and how they're going to look this year. Especially because, you know, it, if all other things remain equal and the police may have something to say about that, but Kansas City is the best offense in the league. If they have any kind of a defense, even an average one, they become Super Bowl, honestly, Super Bowl favorites, given that I still think that the NFC is stronger than the, uh, the AFC. So I, I think that, that there's a lot of curiosity about the Kansas City defense because they're, they're sort of playing this game of we've built this great offense, defense is less consistent from year to year, let's see if we can, let's see if we can roll a seven. All right, um, well, let's move forward. I had a few honorable mentions that I want to give you before I give you my finale, my, my best move of the offseason. Um, under the radar, but um, some some uh, some ones I wanted to mention. Um, the Colts, when I saw the Devin Funches number at first, thirteen million. Turns out it was actually less than thirteen million. That's the max value with incentives. And after looking at how he's performed in the slot in Carolina and being really not used there very much, and extrapolating how much we can expect to see him used there in Indianapolis, I think that's an exciting signing that could be high upside with Andrew Luck. Um, along with that, Justin Houston to the Colts, a signing that I, that I love. Two years, $24 million for Justin Houston, one of the top pass rushers in the league. I love it there. Um, you know I'm a Teddy Bridgewater guy. I would have I loved the move for Miami if they could have brought him in, but I thought the Saints were wise to bring him back and to try to keep grooming him to run in the future. An under-the-radar definitely move there. Latavius Murray to the Saints. Four years, $14 million deal. Reminds me of the terms when we signed Darren Sproles originally in New Orleans. He was too old. He was available on the cheap. And he ended up being a, a huge part of our offense for several years. So look out for that Latavius Murray fit into the Sean Payton offense. And then I'm going to give some love to the Giants and the Jets. You know, it, and amongst all the things that the Giants did that were questionable, Golden Tate on a four-year, $37.5 million contract, I'm, I'm in for that. I, I like that price. Um, and they didn't give up the draft pick for him. Uh, likewise, the Jets. But did- it makes no sense given where they are in the franchise like cycle. They, you know, it's like they, they're not thin at receivers somehow. They've got like a million slot receivers, it feels like, um, which I don't know how much sense that makes. But, um, yeah, I'm not going to defend the Giants overall. I do like that move. And then how about the Jets? Uh, C.J. Mosley was a pretty was a bigger deal, but five years, fifty-one million—not crazy for the leader of your defense. If he can be, you know, their next Jonathan Vilma, um, Kalechi Assembly they bring in with the trade didn't uh, give up much, just the sixth for the fifth that there. I like. And I think they didn't. I think they upgrade. That's a great. That was a great trade. And then Jamison Crowder. Uh, we talked about the slot guy, Golden Tate, with the Giants. Jamison Crowder with the Jets. Um, three-year, $28 million deal. I think we can see him. We can expect him to be a really big part of their offense. So those are all of my honorable mentions. But my move of the offseason is whoever trades for Josh Rosen. You're a Josh Rosen fan, right? Obviously, his numbers last year are terrible, but so was the offensive line he was trying to play behind. Yeah, I think usually when you look at second-year quarterbacks that didn't perform well, when you look at will a quarterback be good in his second year, looking at their first-year statistics is really not indicative. Unless they performed really well in that first year, then you can expect them to perform well. Otherwise, if you want to get an idea if, if it's going to click for a guy or not, you get a lot more indicators from, from their, their college performance and from some of your different evaluations than you can from really just being able to look into a, a small sample size with a, with a tough offensive line and coaching situation and all that kind of stuff. So I'm in. I think Josh Rosen easily for me would be uh, the top quarterback that I, that I would have graded 
coming out of this draft. I think we're going to see two guys go probably in the top 10, but, and there might be some, some guys going in the first round that I don't think have any business being there. I would much rather have, you know, my, my shot at the dartboard be Josh Rosen than to be, you know, a Drew Locke, especially, or a Daniel Jones type prospect. Um, I'm, I'm still interested in Rosen. I still think that what he brings to the table in terms of his tools and the upside that you see when you, when you look at a guy like him, um, I'm all about it. So, so my move is going to be, I think somebody's going to get him for a second round pick. And I think that that's going to be, um, you know, if it's Miami, if it's Washington, one of these teams that can really actually use bringing somebody in to see if they can fit and be the long-term answer at that position. I think that could be a huge deal. I agree with you. I mean, I think you, you cannot write off guys after one year. And I think that what he did in college, all, all of that evaluation still matters heavily. And he was in an awful situation in Arizona last year. So I agree with you that that is going to be an interesting move for whichever team does it. And it makes a lot of sense for one of those teams that really has no quarterback. Washington makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, hey, if you're, if you're Washington, if you're Miami, and it doesn't work out this year, I'm not saying you're married to him forever. You can always bring in Matt Flynn before you arrive on Russell Wilson. There's no, there's no rule against it. <laughs> yeah, well, Case Keenum back to being a backup wouldn't be that much of a shock for people, I think. I think that that's, you know, the, the what do they say? The, the, when a water finds its level on, in a cup all the time, it always ends up evening out. <laughs> you know, eventually it's going to find its level and Case Keenum's going to be a backup. My award is not for the best move of the offseason, but what I think is the most under-the-radar move of all the under-the-radar moves of the offseason that you don't realize until you start putting together all the different moves. Do people realize just how much the Bills threw at their offensive line this offseason? They signed six offensive linemen. Now, one of them, Jake Fisher, is apparently going to be a tight end now. So really, it's five offensive linemen. But they were just, they're just signing guys and signing guys. And then I guess they're going to have camp battles. But they signed a ton of, they've got a young left tackle. So that position is set. They signed Mitch Morris, which I think is a really good signing from Kansas City. Only had three blown blocks in 11 games last year. They signed Spencer Long, who's, you know, kind of an average starter quality guy. Ty, I can never pronounce his name, Naseki. The guy who was in Washington who came in when Trent Williams was hurt two years ago and played quite well. Yeah. And then some guy named John Feliciano from the Raiders, who I honestly have no idea about. And Adrian Waddle from the Patriots, who's a replacement-level guy. But just shows just how much spaghetti they threw at the wall here to try to keep Josh Allen protected so that he can launch those balls downfield that are nowhere near the receivers. Yeah, so I thought you were going to say how many uh, receivers they had brought in. John Brown's interesting because, I, you know, when, when Josh Allen throws the deep ball and he throws it good, he can rip some of the most beautiful tosses that you'll see out there. And John Brown on the, on the deep ball, that's exciting there. Cole Beasley's a little bit more head-scratching to me. You'd think that Cole Beasley would want a really accurate quarterback, and that's something that you, you haven't seen, the, you know, this effectiveness on the short passing game from Josh Allen. So it'll be interesting to see there. Uh, Tyler Croft, another guy they brought in. So Yeah, they just they threw a lot of free agency bucks at a lot of positions, but I think the offensive line, just how many offensive linemen they brought in, that's a lot of offensive line free agents to bring in. Right, it'll be, and it'll be three of them will be starters, I think, if you, if you start to break it down. I don't think they have more than two guys that they brought back. <laughs> yep, the, the whole right side, the, the, these guys should fill center with Morse, and then two of the other four guys are going to be right guard and right tackle. 
probably Nesh at right tackle, and then either Long or Feliciano at right guard. I think that's how it slots in there. Very interesting stuff. All right. I think that about wraps it up for our analysis today. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention or plug before we get out of here? Uh, just keep checking out Football Outsiders for good content. Speaking of Josh Allen's, we've got futures up right now about the other Josh Allen and what makes him an interesting pass rusher because can he succeed in the NFL when he really only has one move, but that one move is spectacular? He'd have to be like the Mariano Rivera of pass rushers. Or almost like the Dwight Freeney or something. Yes, the new Dwight Freeney is Josh, is Josh Allen. Interesting. I'm, I'm uh, fascinated to read that one. On the Sports Info Solutions side, please, please, please check out the Sports Info Solutions Football Rookie Handbook. You can get it on Amazon.com, and there's a Kindle version available for just 15 bucks. So check out the SIS Football Rookie Handbook. As always, you can check out SISDataHub.com. And we have a new website that we just announced last week, SISBets.com where you can get all of your prop bet recommendations for any Major League Baseball games this year. So if you want to know if Aaron Judge is going to get a home run or not, um, if you want to find out um, if a pitcher is going to hit the over-under on whatever number of strikeouts he's going to have, log on to SISBets.com. It's free through the end of the month, and you can use these to beat all the different prop bet makers because – uh, word to the wise, if you want to find anywhere to win in the gambling game, it's the prop bets, it's the low, lim- the low limit stuff. That's where the casinos actually leave some meat on the bone for us, for us lay people to win some things. Awesome, man. Sounds like a great new site. All right. We will see you next week. We will be back for more and have a great weekend.